This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. We call these weekly get-togethers Mikado and Manning because it's me, James Manning, and my colleague and collaborator, Andrew Mikado. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi, James. A few interesting projects that um, I finally made it to air this week we're going to talk about. One of them is something that you alerted me to that I wasn't expecting at all, and it was such a delight. And it's one of those things that really make me happy that we get together to talk about TV. But first, we're going to talk about Blonde, which I think we've um, both got slightly differing opinions about. It's the uh, Marilyn Monroe biography um and one of the things i sent you this week and you're a bit happier with it than i was but i i sent you something this week about one a critic says every generation has its sort of marilyn monroe moment and netflix has stuffed it up for 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 the current generation would you sort of agree with that oh totally look i i have nothing nice to say about this new version of blonde except that the actress who played the part, the Cuban actress, Anna de Armas, is magnificent. She's really good. She looks like Marilyn. She sounds like Marilyn, but she doesn't have any material to work with. I just think it's the most horrible film. I think it's a misogynistic film about yeah. misogyny, ironically enough, uh, directed by a man. I don't know what they were thinking. It's one of the most joyless things I've ever seen about Marilyn. Honestly, to be doing close-ups of her cervix during an abortion with talking fetuses and the graphic sexual assault scenes and this just awful tone all the way through the film without a smile or a laugh or any of the joy that the real Marilyn Monroe brought to millions and millions of people. I just think it is possibly the worst film of the year. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, yeah, w- after hearing you chat about it the first time we mentioned it, that um, it, I, I was a bit intrigued by it, and I found it interesting. And I'll get to that in a minute. But it, it is like taking someone who achieved quite a lot and just pulling out the the worst parts of their career and and making a movie about that with 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 only passing reference to their successes. I'm getting really sick of it, James. I think that we all know that Marilyn Monroe endured some awful tragedies in her home life. Her marriages weren't happy. She wanted a child. She could never have one. But where is the look at Marilyn's intelligence, her talent, the joy she brought to people? She was so ahead of her time. She was a vastly underrated actor. She wanted to do more drama instead of silly comedy. She was, I think, the first big female Hollywood star to break away from the studio system and start her own production company. She wanted to go out and find her own projects, which is what everybody does now. But Marilyn was the first to do that. She was involved in the civil rights movement. She was one of the first 
actresses to be jogging and involved in, you know, exercise and, and all of that stuff pre-Jane Fonda aerobics. There are so many amazing positive things you can tell about Marilyn without getting bogged down in the fact that all the men around her abused her. She stood up to those men as the best as she could. And I just can't believe in 2022 we didn't get a film about that and instead we chose to focus on the negative. It's it, it's just a complete head-scratcher to me. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the good reception is is due to perhaps the lead role, as you say, Anna Diamas, um, the, the, what she brings to to the character. But but even some, even the way she's sort of portrayed by the director, it's sort of bizarre at times, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm certainly no prude, but there's a lot of the movie she's naked, you know, and um, and just sort of showing parts of a private life. Where, I mean, some of the there's some nice recreations of of her classic movies but but you're not i get a feeling that audiences who don't know anything about Marilyn Monroe aren't really going to come away from this going gee I really want to go and investigate all those movies and track them down that that that, that is the horror of this whole exercise for me that that is actually a real thing Mar- Mar- I've read a ton of Marilyn Monroe biopic books, not biopics, biographies. Yeah. I've read just about every book going about Marilyn, and it is true. She did like to loll around in the nude <laughs> a lot. But honestly, to continually uh, have her in these degrading positions in a film like this is a really, really bad look in 2022 because I just think that Marilyn Monroe was so much more than the fact that she liked to sleep uh, in wearing nothing but Chanel Number no. 5, as she so famously put it. There was a famous interview she did once. They said to her, what do you wear to bed? And she said, I only wear Chanel Number no. 5. That's Marilyn's intelligence speaking. I know what you want me to say. You want me to say I sleep in the nude, but I'm going to give you something more clever than that. And that's what we don't see in Blonde. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the co-stars are interesting. I thought Adrian uh, Brody as Arthur Miller, um, Bobby Carnavale as the um, the baseball player whose name escapes me. Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio uh, was interesting, but um, it's um, it's still very much a, a film about Munro, isn't it? There's just sort of sideshows along the way. And the, the whole, uh, what, what did you make of the JFK incident? That's really, um, that's startling, isn't it? Well, it's just disgraceful. And they don't even mention the fact that she was having an affair with Bobby Kennedy at the same time. They leave out all these things. They totally leave out her first husband. They totally leave out, you know, she goes from, you know, being a little girl left in an orphanage to suddenly she's being raped by a studio executive while being cast in her first major film. It's just, it cherry picks all the worst things that ever happened to her while leaving out some stuff and making up a whole bunch of other stuff. It's just unconscionable for me. Yeah. that The film starts, I guess, by implying that she was in a threesome with um, uh, Cass Chaplin, the son of uh, Charlie Chaplin, and somebody else. But that's sort of a bit of poetic license too. It's never really been sort of uh, definitively stated that that's what happened. 
there's this really great story about Marilyn Monroe that doesn't get talked about a lot. And, you know, people say, oh, well, she killed herself because she was depressed because she'd been fired uh, from her movie by 20th Century Fox. That's not actually what happened. I mean, she did get fired from Something's Gotta Give. Uh, 20th Century Fox was under an enormous financial pressure because Elizabeth Taylor in Cleopatra was running millions of dollars over budget in Italy. They decided they weren't going to have two female stars uh, leading them astray, so they fired Marilyn to make an example of her. But what's not so known is that Dean Martin, who was starring opposite Marilyn Monroe, said, hang on a second, what do you mean you fired her? I came to make a movie with Marilyn Monroe and I don't care if it takes her 17 hours to get to set every day. When she gets there, it's magic and it's worth it. So you're not going to make this film unless you reinstate her. And she was reinstated onto that film and was going back to work, which of course is where we get all the stories about was she murdered or did was it an accidental overdose? That's the type of information I want to see about Marilyn Monroe in a movie instead of just making out that she was a victim who was a pill popper. And, you know, that, that there's more to the story than just that. Yeah, yeah. Um, What this has made me do is get interested in the the film director, Andrew uh, Dominic. And, I mean, Blonde is a long movie at, I think it's 166 minutes, and it it does feel long. It doesn't really fly by. Um, But this is, it's interesting because it made me want to search out something else he's made that I'd read a lot about but I've actually never seen, and that's the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That's the com- that's the complete title. Um, it um, stars um, um, Casey, uh, Brad Pitt is Jesse James, Casey Affleck is the coward Robert Ford, uh, yep. Sam Shepard is Jesse James' brother Frank, Jeremy Renner's in it as well, Sam Rockwell. Um, but it's interesting. That's also similarly long. It's 166 minutes. So this is six minutes longer than this, but it's, it's interesting. He's re- renewed the relationship or kept the relationship with Brad Pitt, who's a, who's a producer on this blonde project. I'm actually really upset that Brad Pitt is the producer of this film because Brad Pitt, career-wise, I'm always hugely on board with his choices, not so much this one. But let's talk about Andrew Dominic's first movie is, of course, Chopper, uh, a film uh, that starred Eric Banner, an absolute classic of Australian cinema. And isn't it interesting that Andrew Dominic was able to find the humour and some good things about Chopper, who was basically a criminal who killed Mm. people. He Mm. was able to find the good side of Chopper in a film, but he can't find anything good to say about Marilyn Monroe all these years later. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that if you want to rent that, that's on, I think that's on a few different platforms. It's about $5 to rent. Uh, not bad value if you pay by the hour, you know, it's um, it's good value. The other film that had made me want to look up is Blonde, uh, also another film based on the uh, Joyce Carol Oates uh, novel about Marilyn Monroe. And I think the the, that novel supposedly based in fact but takes a few liberties here and there. Um, but that was a film uh, back in, yeah, 2001, starred um, Aussie actor uh, Poppy Montgomery 
Also features uh, Richard Roxburgh in the movie and Andrew Clark plays uh, Laurence Olivier in the film. Now, you told me this is available locally. Yeah, can you believe it? You can watch it for free on 7 Plus. It's two parts. I think it was like a two-part miniseries made for American TV. Uh, and, look, I remember watching it at the time, but I barely remember it. Um, I actually think one of the best ones was another telly movie made in the 80s with Catherine Hicks. That was a really good uh, Marilyn story as well. But there's been so many. Goodbye Norma Jean with Misty Rowe uh, in the mid-70s. But yeah, look, I may well search out Poppy Montgomery's version of Blonde. It's sitting there on 7 Plus to watch for free, so why not? I guarantee you it'll be a better viewing experience than the 2022 version. Yeah. Um, well, it's a two-parter. It's also 165 minutes. So that seems to be the magic space for a, a lot of these projects. But also in it is um, Anne-Margaret. I think she might play her mother in it. Yeah. Um, Kirsty Alley's also in it. And uh, Griffin Dunn, so it's got a really interesting cast. Yeah, it's got a great cast. And, look, the story of Marilyn Monroe is a long story. I, I, I don't object to three hours being used to tell her story because there's a lot to cover. What I object to is three hours of just perjured, horrible, depressing stuff about her life because it doesn't tell the whole story. Sure, sure. Look, in a minute, we're going to be talking about another one of the delights I found this week. Again, thanks to you. I'd, I'd been watching this all year, but I didn't know it had actually cranked off here. That That is, this is going to hurt. We've got a couple of shows coming to Network 10 uh, this week and next week, which we'll reference uh, quickly too before we finish. But the one that really um, put a smile on my face this week, and you alerted me to it, I wasn't aware of it at all, The Sound of 007. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, this is two parts to this, isn't there? Okay. Yeah. Now, I want to know which part you watched because I went looking for it last night on Amazon Prime because they recorded a concert in London with Shirley Bassey doing the music of uh, James Bond. When I went looking on Amazon Prime, I found it and started watching it. But it was actually a documentary about all the composers, John Barry, who did the original theme music. And I was watching it going, this is fantastic. And then after half an hour, I suddenly realised, hang on, this isn't what I thought I was meant to be watching. So is the concert version also on Amazon Prime or were you watching the same thing I was watching? Yeah, no, I was watching what you were watching, the doco. The doc, the live concert was made to celebrate and to launch this documentary series, and I believe that has been filmed and will be coming soon, but I think it only went, it was only on like yesterday as we record this in London at the Royal Albert Hall. Okay. So I think they're going to turn it around and it might take a little time before they put it to air. But, um, yeah, that was staged by Amazon as sort of a launch event for this documentary. Now, look, even if you're not a big James Bond fan, you've probably heard a few sort of theme songs to the different movies over the years that you thought were pretty good. And this documentary celebrates them all. And, wow, what a great job it does too. It's just fascinating. James, if I was sent to a desert island and I was (laughs) only allowed to take one CD, yeah. I would take 
the James Bond theme songs from every movie because you get so many great artists on it and you get so much drama. Like I could run around that desert island lip syncing to that album for the rest of my life. There are so many amazing performers on it. And right back from the early days with Tom Jones, Shirley Bassey, Nancy Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, then through to the 70s with Paul McCartney and Wings and then Duran Duran in the 80s. You know, the, the James Bond, uh, the artists who sing the James Bond theme songs are from the zeitgeist at the time they are picked. And I think all of those songs, they're all magnificent in their own right. And, yeah, that doco has just – I haven't finished watching it yet, but I just – I just – I uh, loved watching it and it was so interesting uh, learning about how they created that iconic theme music for the first movie, Doctor No, which they've ended up using for every one of the James Bond movies since. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just a doco about the old days. It's quite contemporary in that you get to see um, Shirley um, Manson and Garbage talk about their involvement in James Bond. You get... Um, you get um, Jack White and uh, Alicia Keys. You see them making the video for the uh, Another Way to Die, the, the song they had in there. Um, one thing I was a little bit surprised, I don't think unless I missed it, there was no mention at all of the tune Madonna did. For, um, <laughs> Very um, briefly Another I saw it. Very <laughs> briefly Die Another Day got a mention. Okay, okay. <laughs> But some of the stories were just fantastic. I particularly liked um, um, Michael Caine talked about oh, his, his early days living goal. in London. He was very friendly with uh, John Barry at the time and someone else. And between apartments, he needed somewhere to stay for a couple of weeks. And John Barry said, oh, look, you could come in and stay with me if you like. Um, and the, the first night he was there, he was sort of, trying to go to sleep and he, John Barry was in the piano in, on the piano in the other room trying to compose something and Michael Caine's going, oh, look, I, oh, this, I'm having trouble going to sleep and an hour or two later it was still going on and it went through most of the night and Michael Caine's thinking to himself, oh, look, I just can't take this. I won't be able to do this. And he saw him first thing in the morning and John Barry said, oh, look, I've finished it, you know, and he, and he realised he composed a whole tune that night in the apartment. I think he was writing the tune for Goldfinger. He was. And then and then you go, what an amazing story from Michael Caine. And then you go to Shirley Bassey telling the story of how, you know, he said to her, I've got this song and I want you to hear it. And, of course, just from the mere intro, she was like, oh, my God, I love it. You know, yeah, yeah that, that was just so fantastic hearing Michael Caine and Dame Shirley Bassey tell those stories. Yeah, and just behind the scenes, the sort of access you get into this world of this amazing franchise that, you know, if even – look, I I'm, I enjoy Bond movies, but I don't think I've seen them all. Um, but it was just fascinating going behind the scenes. Hans Zimmer, the composer, who who's not just well-known for James Bond, of course. He's, he's scored so many movies, but the insights he gave and the footage of him at work, the um, the lyricist Don Black, I bet you liked him. There's some of the stories he had. Um, he wrote Diamonds Are Forever and a lot of Bond, uh, Bond themes. Uh, so Tim Rice, you got he talked about Octopussy, um, 
and Duran Duran talking about the song they wrote and they said they were lucky to get the song they did because some of those other songs, they just would have found them so hard to, to fit the lyrics into the song. Look, there are, there are three things that I'm obsessed about with James Bond. One is the song. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. second is the opening credit sequence that often takes place with the song. Um, and the third is the movie posters. You mm. know, these are... When you go back, I'd watch a documentary about just how they created all of those movie posters for yeah. every one of those films. There's so much detail uh, in all of those posters and, and I just love that legacy of James Bond. Uh, no matter who is playing the role of James Bond, the music and the art and the credits endure and there's a, there's a similarity to them but they're always different. I just love it. Yeah, you're right. I can't remember who said it, but somewhere during the documentary they said the amazing thing about Bond is that the song, the poster, they managed to capture the sort of the zeitgeist of the time yeah. and it's a real document about the period when the film was made. And you're right, they never age, though. They just, they just look like marvellous snapshots of the period they were made. Yeah, yeah, so good. So that's Amazon Prime, the sound of 007, and we'll have this concert special to come soon. Yeah, and the concert sounds, you know, yeah, Dame Shirley Bassey, I, I read a bit of a review this week. I think she sang three um, Bond songs, I think. She um, did. She kicked off. Diamonds of Forever, with, yeah. Golden, Goldfinger Gold, and Moonraker. Yeah. Right, okay. And she, she uh, started the concerts with both those and oh. – um, she got standing ovation straight away. Um, yeah. Lulu also performed. I mean, she, she's just amazing how she just keeps on going, Lulu. It's just Yeah, amazing. I mean, Lulu Lulu uh, sings The Man with the Golden Gun, which a lot of critics describe as one of the worst Bond songs. <laughs> um, I still love it, and I still love that movie. That's one of my favourite James Bond films because it's Roger Moore, Christopher Lee as the villain, Hervé Villachet, Tattoo from Fantasy Island, Britt Eklund and Maud Adams. Like, what a cast. And, you know, the song isn't great, but it's Lulu, and, you know, I, I love The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, not not all the original artists was performing at the concert. Um, a couple of other vocalists did Adele's Skyfall. Um, somebody else did Carly Simon's Nobody Does It Better. And well, I'm, I think that's got to be my favourite Bond song. That Carly yeah. Simon singing Nobody Does It Better. Wow, that is such a good song that just stands alone by itself without any connection to Bond. But you put the two together, and it's so powerful. Yeah, I'm amazed that uh, I'm sure they have over the years used that as an advertising jingle. Nobody does it better. I mean, that's as, that's as good as you get for a jingle, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Smith um, and the whole and the, a lot of the documentaries taken up with Billie Eilish too, talking about her involvement. And it's just so good to see the footage to, and to hear her talk about her involvement. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's um, talk about a couple of things on Network 10. Um, the first of them is uh, another Todd Sampson doco, another instalment of Mirror, Mirror. I think this one is a two-parter called Love and Hate. Yeah, he did a uh, he did a special like this last year where he kind of zoomed in on social media, and he's back there now, really uh, getting uh, involved in it. the 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 way it begins is that he 
actually goes on to this uh, website where you meet strangers and he has a an actress pretend to be a 14-year-old girl and she pretends to be typing and she's there looking all kind of shy and vulnerable and then Todd Sampson's actually looking at the men that come on and almost immediately start exposing themselves to her. And that's how the documentary kicks off. And then he tells this horrible story of how he goes home and says to his daughters, whatever you do, you are not to go onto this website. And the daughters look down in kind of and go, oh, Dada, we've been on that website already. All the kids at school are. I think there's a really important message in Mirror, Mirror, Love and Hate that he's trying to get across, which is um, – Parents need to be across their kids' social media a lot more, um, particularly if they're really young, because of the sort of stuff they're getting exposed to. And uh, therefore, I think that this is an important series. And I always love Todd Sampson's work. And uh, I thank him for doing this stuff because this stuff is really, really important. And he talks about it in this documentary about how social media is actually a giant experiment that's being taken uh, on the human population at this time and we don't know where it's going to lead to uh, but I think it's really really I think this is a great show to sort of just get us all just to take a check about what we're doing and maybe what our kids are doing there yeah I mean and I I, I hear what you're saying because you're someone who's probably a lot more on socials than I am, so um, you're aware of what's happening. I think the website is called a, a Meggle. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Yeah, I, I, I'd never heard of it till I saw this documentary. Well, same. But... It tells you how, how much out of touch we are, but it's been going since yeah. 2009. So, but a lot of lot of people are on it. Um, part of me thought, well, what do you expect to find if you go on here? You, they they put an actress up there who went online and said she was 14 and. and she was looking very cute, and, that, and in no way do I call, endorse what the hell happened. But you could sort of, ex, you just knew what was going to happen. That that yeah. the reaction wasn't going to be good, was it? But the yeah. what where did the thing that interests me is what what the show sort of ends up saying, and it sort of called a lot of people call for regulation. They think there's got to be some sort of regulation. I'm always a bit wary of that. I think you've got to be careful of you know the early days of censoring the internet i think it's good in a way that it's not but there's that many people who abuse the privilege of what the internet brings you need some sort of some sort of regulation i think and i don't think people should be allowed on their socials anonymously i think no, you, i agree you should have to register some sort of way that you can be identified right before yeah, you're yeah. you're given access to a social media platform and the other yeah. big, the, the other important takeaway is too that there should be we should break up the monopolies that the big tech companies have. It just you know, don't I don't know how, um, but they shouldn't be allowed to control everything like they do. You know, there should be some yeah. forced breakup, the, the same way they did years ago with the a lot of the telcos. You know that telcos weren't allowed to have so much power. Um, same with banks, they weren't allowed, they let lots of new players in, made it easier for people to get start up. So that's something that they've obviously got to look for with um, in that sort of the social media platforms. Yep, agreed with all of that. Yep, so that's a two-parter coming to 10, um, Mirror, Mirror, 
Um, of course, you can get it on 10 Play if you don't watch it live. Um, the other show I wanted to reference quickly, and look, I'll say up front, it's not really my cup of tea. It's an interesting idea, and I think we've referenced it briefly in the past, is The Real Love Boat. I sat through most of that first episode just to make sure it wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> well, do you know what I think's really bizarre about this? Well, it, it started, let's say it got off to a disastrous start in the ratings. You know, 215,000 viewers night one is not a good place to start from. But you know what I thought was really weird about the promotion of the show, James? They're promoting the show to a target audience that has never heard of the show that it's based on. Mm. They're saying the real love boat and every kid out there must be going, why is it the real love boat? What's the love boat? Nobody knows what the love boat is anymore. It's an old TV show from the 70s. It's yeah. not like it's still on TV every day like Friends is and, and a whole bunch of other classic TV shows. It hasn't been running on Foxtel for years and years. Ten very quietly slipped it into the schedule about six months ago. Uh, they screen it during the day on 10 Bold and it's there on 10 Play. But, you know, they've made this show for millennials and those millennials don't know what the love boat is. And then they promote the show with advertisements on TV. That is a quote from News Corp that says, "Love this show is Love Island on a boat. And you're thinking, is that a compliment, Love Island on a boat? That sounds to me like a ripoff of a show. The only difference is it's set on a boat. I just think that the promotion around it was really, really bad and that might explain why the audience isn't there. But I also think there's a bigger question here of how many more dating shows can we have on TV? Love Island, Heartbreak Island, Love Triangle now on Stan. I mean, clearly there's going to be a point where the audience is going to say enough or maybe they're saying it already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And even if you did know the love boat, you're not going to be pleased by this, are you? I mean, it's quite... It hasn't got many of the elements that made the love book a quirky sort of comedy drama. You know, it was a it was a bit of a sitcom, wasn't it? That sort of episode to episode, people came on the boat. It was a bit of drama, a bit of laughs about the different characters, the situations they got into. This is really, to me, looks look. I'm certainly not an expert on the genre, but Love Island or you know, Married at First Sight get the audience because they're raunchy, they, you know, you really see these relations. This looked all a little bit tame to my yeah. way of thinking, you know. Oh, yeah, look, I just think that all dating shows are starting to look like each other now, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. It just goes on and on and on. They're all blending into one. But, but you know what? The real love boat actually looked amazing. I mean, the cruise ship is amazing. The shots yeah. of Barcelona was amazing. This could have been incredible. It is, as Darren McMillan told Media Week, a billion dollar. It looks a billion dollars. It looked amazing. But the moment you start having these, all the girls squealing, all the boys come on and all the girls squeal and go, oh, they're 11 out of 10. And you just go, oh, no, really? Is that, yeah, is, are we here already? Yeah, it's just, it's just the same old, same old for me. But again, like you, I am not the target audience. Yeah, and there was a little bit of a disconnect too between, well, there were six couples and then shots of this huge cruise ship that might take several thousand passengers and you sort of wondered, hmm, what's going on? It was all a bit 
all a bit hokey. But anyway, look, let's jump on to something I'm a lot more excited about. But again, I couldn't watch it all. Um, you might be able to explain why um, I'm talking about this is going to hurt. Right. The new BBC drama starring yeah. Ben Wishtor as a, uh, an, a stressed, overworked doctor. He seems to be working in a maternity ward. It's sort of like an even more extreme version of offspring in a way, but with a male doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, he work, he's working in the NHS based on a um, a real-life story about a doctor who wrote about his experiences working in the British uh, medical system. Yeah, that first scene where he uh, his, he gets off work and he's leaving, trying to go home to have mm. a change of clothes, sleep, whatever, and he sees this woman in the driveway about to give birth and he says to her, I'm a doctor, can I just go down there and have a look? And he goes down and has a look and there's an arm sticking out of her and he goes, oh, sorry, you're about to have a side birth. Come with me. And then puts her in this freight elevator. My God. Look, you know what? I loved the show, but I also found the show really stressful, James. I was kind of like going, oh, my God, this poor man, these people who work in the NHS. I was, I found it really, really stressful. Uh, part of it me was loving at how gory it was, but another part of me was stressing out because I was thinking, oh, my God, in real life this would be horrific. Yeah, look, uh, Ben Wishaw's great as uh, Adam Kay, the, the doctor. Um, yeah, the the – the the re the reality they create in that hospital they just don't stop when there's an operation a cesarean because most of these are births and most people get a cesarean in that first episode they and I I'm guessing they go a long way because I couldn't look at it all I had to look away and it's not really a criticism because I quite sort of like that they're sort of really ramping up the reality and it's very funny it's very clever i mean during yeah. that first episode they go through about it covers about two days of life in the hospital he doesn't seem to sleep at all during those two days because the the few hours he manages to get away from work he's supposed to be at a stag party for a friend that he doesn't really want to go to but um him and his 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 him and his boyfriend have to sort of go along and put in an appearance. Neither of them want to be there, and that's all very funny too because he he's wearing a t shirt. I think on the back of the t shirt it says "On oh, my last night of pussy" or something. <laughs> Which and he has to he's called back to the called back to work and he turns up at the hospital in this t shirt. He can't find any other clothes, so he's got to turn the t- the t shirt inside out while he does some operations and that. And it's. It's all very funny and the, you know, the scene where he sort of um, sticks up for a, a sort of a, a coloured co-worker where he thinks there's racism involved and the, 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 his colleagues says, look, you don't need to look after me, you know, I can do it. And his superior says, look, I think you overstepped the mark here and he has to actually go back and apologise. And But but it's there's just there's a lot of depth to it, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I think it's going to be one I'm, I'm, I'm sort of marking it and putting it to the side. I've been catching up on a lot of shows, James, that we have started through the year. 
and I've been going back and going, I, I, I've got to finish watching this show. Uh, and so I'm just going to park it for a while and get back to it because I've just started The Old Man with Jeff Bridges and okay. I'm about to finish Severance on Apple TV, which we promised Rove McManus we would go back to. <laughs> so I'm trying to finish a whole bunch of shows uh, and, yeah, I, I'll definitely come back to it. Yeah, okay. Look, we just about to wrap up this week quickly. Ben Wishaw, well, that guy, what a what a what a cast, what a what what a um a CV of work he's got. The voice of Paddington Bear, of course, uh yeah. in recent years, <laughs> including he co-starred with the Queen in that great wow. little that great little clip they did um earlier this year. Look, very English scandal, the hour, which was the first thing I mean, I saw him in, um, is the new cue in James Bond, which is a nice segue from our Bond um chat. And yeah. something I, I want to check him out in, he would play Keith Richards in a 2005 movie called Stoned, a biography about Brian um is it Brian Jones, the um, oh, Rolling Stone you. guitarist that died suddenly um, in the mid, I think it was the mid to late 60s, or was it the early 70s? But but anyway, so I, I would certainly want to dig that out. My little recommendation for next week, something that's coming to BritBox called, I think it's called Karen Pirry. Um, she's a British detective. I'm on a safe ground there. It's sort of a crime drama, so I'm looking forward to getting into that one. Anything you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, look, uh, you've got a job next week. Um, <laughs> the first show we're going to talk about next week, there might be five episodes now to watch on Disney+. Plus. It's called Reboot, and okay. it's a comedy about a family show being rebooted now in 2022, and the cast is amazing. Paul Reiser and Johnny Knoxville and Anthony here, I can never get his name right. Uh, Judy Greer, I'll get that guy's name right next week. It's so good, James, and there's so many jokes about TV in there. You're going to watch the whole thing by next week, and we're going to talk about Reboot on Disney+. Plus. You'll love okay. it. All righty. I'm looking forward to that one. Keegan-Michael K. was that the That's guy? him. I love yeah. him so much, but I can never remember his name. Keegan-Michael K. He's in The Prom, and he's in Schmigadoon. And I love him. Yeah, no, he's he's done some great work. Yeah, yeah, no, good choice. I'm uh, I'm already looking forward to that one. All right, Andrew, good good chatting to you again. We can um, read Andrew every week in Media Week on the um, Friday edition of our Morning Report. Also, it's on MediaWeek.com.au. You can find this podcast on all the favourite platforms, including the Listener app, Apple Podcasts, and it's even on Spotify. Like us, follow us. Uh, we'll be back again in seven days. Bye, Andrew. Have a great week.